if you could write write a note to yourself, what would you say to yourself having having had this experience that you've had so far? Be wary of advice from any single person, include except for my older self. That you can, you can trust <laughs> your older self. But that would be like a meta conversation there. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I'm Dave Buddha, and this is Dark in the Page. Today's episode, we have AJ Jacobs. AJ is an author, journalist, lecturer, and human guinea pig. He has written four New York Times bestsellers that combine memoir, science, humor, and a dash of self-help. AJ approaches his writing like his life, and he experiments with both very liberally. So we talk about some of the habits he has, how he gets everything done with kids vying for his attention, and what advice he has for writers looking to make money through freelancing. I first heard of AJ after reading his book, The Year of Living Living Biblically, which I just absolutely loved. He's also an editor-at-large for Esquire magazine, and we talk about what that actually means. And AJ gives some great advice for people just looking to get into writing, whether it's freelancing or book writing, anything. Um, overall, I really enjoyed this interview. AJ is such an easy person to talk to, and I felt like we had known each other for years just within like a minute of talking. And so I'm really excited to bring this to you. The sponsor for today's episode is 99designs. If you want to check out the design contest I ran to get the logo for this podcast, go to darkenthepage.com slash 99designs and you could see the whole contest, all the rejected ones and all the ones that won. And make sure you use the affiliate link if you want to use the product and 99designs will send us a kickback. And so we appreciate that. On to the show. Here's AJ. Um, so, you know, the first question that actually popped up in my mind as we just got on the phone here is, um, you know, this being a show about the creative process, is is this interesting to you and why? <laughs> I actually am very interested in creativity. And I, I once did a project where I tried to be the most creative person alive. Uh, it was a an article for Real Simple. I, I thought of it turning it into a book on sort of creativity hacks, but I felt that uh, that other people had done enough in that area that mm-hmm. I wanted to try something else. But I think it's fascinating. Yeah, and I and I want to I want to really uh, highlight how prolific you seem to be, at least from the outside. Um, <laughs> and it, and it seems like this is a funny funny like dichotomy because I hear you talk about you know like I I picture your 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 house or your place or apartment in, in New York and I picture like you know these kids running around everywhere um kind of the wife giving you the occasional grief um and then you have this home office and and trying to focus and yet you seem to really be able to actually have some really awesome output like you seem to be able to do so much um, well you're nice I think my <laughs> output has decreased uh, with the kids, they definitely—I'd say—they're like thirty percent. They—they don't love the idea of boundaries, so I try to close myself off in a little room to write, and they are not a fan of that concept. Yeah. And you know what else is also very bad for my productivity is uh, Netflix and Hulu. They are evil. 
because uh, they are just so alluring. It's like <laughs> fantastic entertainment all day long. I so, feel like uh, if I could just get the time I spend picking out something on Netflix back, that would be a huge win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. Maybe outsource the choosing of your uh, of your shows and. I would really appreciate if Netflix had a sort of like a vote up option, you know, because if you go to like a website or a blog, I can go, all right, what's the best article here? You know, boom, mm. somebody, somebody has already decided that for me, you know, right. but I feel like if there was like some kind of crowd sourcing voting up option, I wouldn't have to look through all these crazy movies that I would have no desire to see. I like that. That's a good thing. Yeah. Get working on that. Yeah. So I had a funny idea, actually, because you're not the first person that's mentioned having an office and being interrupted. Of course, it's like the the constant struggle of every writer um, that works at home. And so I thought it would be fun to, like, make a sign um, for the front of the door and something something that kind of explains, like, addresses any grievances, too. That's like it's like it's like, you know, hello. And maybe like a stop sign. It's like, hello, this is I am a writer (laughs) at work. Um, I, I do love you, you know, I do, I do appreciate you. I, uh, I, I do desire to spend time with you. However, I would like to uh, take this time to take care of myself and that would, that would have me show up better for you. Or I would just have this kind of like, uh, this sign. Um, I like that. Or an electrified fence or something. Make it <laughs> a little less like a, subtle. Like a I know buzzer. that, uh, yeah. Albert Einstein has, there, there's a preserved letter that he, left outside his door very similar so you and albert have the same idea and his was he was even harsher because he said to his wife like don't disturb me and cook me my my meals but leave them outside the door don't oh, wow. them. <laughs> Didn't get even so, no facetime just to even have that exchange <laughs> nope you know he's a genius he was not a genius in uh gender relations i don't think that he was very good with his uh with his wives, but yeah, he was pretty good at physics. Yeah, so I hear. Well, what would your note say if you had to leave a note for your your wife and kids? Um, that is a good question. I would have to try to. Um, I think that one of the keys is appeal to them. What do they want? What would make them want to uh, stay away? So either uh, list all of the interesting things that are more interesting than me <laughs> that they can do, like uh, play with their Skylanders or whatever. <laughs> Maybe that's the secret. What's a, what's a Skylander? Oh, that's just, uh, it's a brilliant, it's sort of a cross between a video game and a, a live action. It's like, it's sort of Dungeons and Dragons meets video games. Oh, okay. Well, that sounds really interesting, actually. Um, actually, very interesting. Funny enough, just because I know that this sort of experimenting and, and immersion appeals to you, I just watched a documentary called Darkon. I don't know if you've heard of it. I haven't seen that. Um, what is it? So it's a, it's, a, it's a documentary about these guys, I think they're in Maryland, um, that do essentially a grown-up Dungeons & Dragons where they're live role-playing. They meet every two weeks and they have clans and the clans have leaders and they dress up and they have these huge battles and they do everything with like essentially um, like foam, you know, so they have, they, <laughs> they, they really dress up and they have lots of rules. It's very intricate. Like there's a two handed sword, one handed sword, different colored swords. If you get hit with the sword to for certain color, if you have armor on, you get two hits. If you don't, you get one hit and you I act it out. It. 
I got to see that. Well, yeah. I went to, we just went on vacation with my family to Italy, and we, in Rome, there are now about six or seven gladiator schools. So they go, you go, you put on a tunic, and uh, they give you a foam sword, and you, you whack each other. So uh, it sounds like a similar idea. That sounds Maybe amazing. not as professional. Yeah. And you have to speak Italian, maybe. Or Latin. <laughs> I guess Latin, Latin if it was more yeah, a gladiator maybe. thing. Although violence is the universal language, I guess. So. <laughs> it's true. Um, so what is your typical day like? Um, as you're, I mean, in writing is, is really the, not just the, the, the books, but the, you know, you're, a, you're the editor at Esquire. So you're, you're essentially working with writing, but what does your typical day look like? I, uh, well, I wake up, I am a, I'm an, a night owl. So I do, uh, wake up, I wake up early ish, but then I take a nap during the day. I'm a big proponent of naps. Uh, I, I do find it's very important. The, uh, you know, the software Freedom, uh-huh. where it will automatically cut you off from the Internet. I need to do that, or I literally will get no work done. So I do that, and um, right now I'm working on several projects. So I've got a book that I'm, I'm writing about uh, ancestry and family, where I'm trying to build a family tree of mm-hmm. the entire human race. So I'm working on that, and that means rec- in, right now I'm not doing a lot of writing. I'm doing a lot of researching for that, which is actually I prefer the research. Mm-hmm. The the parts of writing that I love are research, and oddly enough, uh, the marketing once it's out. Huh. Uh, and the actual writing, I find quite unpleasant. The <laughs> typing of the words, uh, I think it's it's very uh, you're you're alone. Uh, it's very lonely. And uh, in one of my books, I, I found a list of all of the writers who had committed suicide, and that is a <laughs> that is a long list. I mean, it brighten just your goes, moods, yeah, brighten your spirits, yeah. Uh, but they're great you know they're great ones but they are uh, Virginia Woolf Hemingway um, uh, many others who Uh escaped me but I think that's not a not a coincidence I think there's some causality here it's not good to be that alone so that is a separate list of all the writers that were addicted to drugs and alcohol too that could be equally as depressing maybe and the writers who uh, married their 13-year-old cousin. That's, <laughs> I only know one. That's Edgar Allan Poe. And I always found that very creepy. Yeah. Creepier than his uh, books. But uh, I, so I love the research. And I love, it's weird. I'm a, I'm a bit of an introvert. But I force myself to be an extrovert. Because I do think that I am happier when I interact with other people. And even... Uh, I find it's, you know, going out to lunch can be extremely time consuming. Mm-hmm. So what I do nowadays is I do a Skype lunch. Yeah. So I'll order food and then my friend will order food and then we'll talk to each other on Skype for half an hour, 40 minutes. Yeah, you don't have to bother with the waiter and the, and the bill, but you actually get some human interaction. So I, like I, am, a, I am a fan of the Skype lunch. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Um I read uh, this book, Daily Routines, by... Uh, oh, yeah, I love that book. It's a great book, right? And it, and it is yeah. actually striking that, that there are so many uh, quirky writer habits, and some of them are, are the themes, like the 
you know, the addiction or the, the smoking. I feel like everybody was smoking in that book or there was just like, <laughs> everybody had a pipe or something. Um, but uh, what are some of your quirky habits and routines that you have as you go through your day? Let's see. Yeah, I don't smoke, um, but uh, even with the e-cigarettes, I well, I do write on a treadmill desk. Uh, I And I did it, I started about four years ago. I was writing a book about health, trying to be the healthiest person alive. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to all these experts who were scaring me by saying, sitting is the new smoking. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, if you sit all day, you're going to die tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So I bought a treadmill and I just rigged my uh, uh, computer on top of it. It's, it's a homemade thing. I don't, didn't buy, they actually have prefabricated treadmill desks, mm-hmm. but I made my own. And I find that to be very helpful, partly because it just keeps me awake. You know, yeah. you can't you can't fall asleep on your keyboard because if you do, then you're going to get <laughs> you get tossed off the treadmill. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I and I so I do that. I do like. So how many uh, hours a day do you spend on the treadmill? Because that's that's kind of fascinating. I'm like sitting in my office here, considering where can I put a treadmill, and that's you know because I've heard of that before. Can you tell me a little great. about the pros and cons of that? I was going to do it uh, while talk- talking to you, but I was worried the worrying would interfere with your audio quality. Oh. But yeah, it's. Uh, uh, I just bought a regular treadmill. I think it was 500 bucks. And uh, the pros are, um, I do think that there, there are studies that say it, it's good for your focus, believe it or not, because mm-hmm. it raises the level of serotonin, this chemical in your brain. Uh, and uh, there are people who say that if they have trouble doing it. They can't concentrate while walking and, and typing. But I, I, it, that is not a problem for me. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why. I am not coordinated. I'm not a good athlete. So I figure if I can do it, pretty much anyone can. Yeah. Uh, but it is, uh, I do it, I don't do it nonstop. I like to take breaks because uh, I worry about injuring myself. But mm-hmm. Uh, maybe three or four hours a day I'm on there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if it's really heavy-duty writing where you have to think a lot, maybe I'll sit down. But most of my day is researching and emails where it's not, uh, you know, I'm not trying to uh, come up with the most complex and dense idea ever. Yeah. Now, I was just listening to you talking about multitasking um, and uh, on a podcast, I think, a while ago. And, mm. and I do love the idea of not multitasking, and and um, it's funny because of course I was as I was listening to it in my car, checking my email <laughs> at the same time. But um, you know, do you find that that the the wisdom of not multitasking does that apply at all to the treadmill, or is it is it really? Do you really feel like some things you can do? Because I mean, I guess in a in a fundamentalist multitasking world. You could say that 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 walking and writing, um, but it really, I think one complements another, right? Well, that's to me. I I am very opposed to multitasking. I do think that it's a myth um, because it's really not multi. It's switch tasking. So when you're uh, when you're ch- talking on the phone and you're you're checking your emails, you're going from uh, checking mm-hmm. your emails and then you switched to paying attention to the phone. You can't do both at the same time. And there's a startup cost every time you switch. Mm -hmm. So I am opposed to that. But what I think is the difference is that that's two mental activities. So I 
I try not to do two mental activities at the same time, but this one is sort of a mental and a physical activity. So that's the loophole for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it, that it's about the startup cost and that multitasking it, when it's not done, uh, when it's done to a detriment is about switching back and forth. And I think we right. all understand what that actually is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and I do, I, I mean, I fail. I multitask all the time. Mm -hmm. But uh, one thing is, uh, when I'm talking on the phone, I still do that. I, I close my eyes uh -huh. because it's just too tempting to have, you know, TMZ right there on my computer. Yeah. So, I close my eyes and I find that I'm actually able to have a conversation where I hear what the other person says, uh -huh. I digest it, and I respond, which is something, uh, you know. It's revolutionary, I had, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was something that was lost to me for about 10 years. Yeah, yeah, I really, I agree. And, and also, that's I feel like what Skype video does for me sometimes, too, is because um, it just keeps me engaged with that person, you know, by looking at them. Yeah, you right. can't be exactly. You can't be like cleaning up your room when <laughs> unless you do have some sort of loop where you have a uh, a picture of yourself like in that movie Speed where they had a Uh right. Yeah, you could <laughs> Well, it, I find it really disheartening sometimes when I'm talking on the phone or I'm talking on Skype video. And then for whatever reason, like maybe the bandwidth isn't very good, so we switch to audio, and then I immediately start doing all this other stuff, and it's like I really, <laughs> I really get to see how much less present I'm being because I don't have to be. Exactly. It's terrible. And we don't have the video on now, so are you? Uh, I'm just uh, looking at your picture. It's, it's oh, wonderful. Okay. <laughs> I'm pretending it's like a Monty Python thing, like your like mouth is moving or something. But um, yeah. Well, what other quirky, uh, any other quirky habits you have? Well, I don't know if this is quirky, but I do enjoy a glass of wine every day. Uh, and I, I'm i not a night drinker, weirdly. I only mm -hmm. drink uh, one or two glasses during the day. And, because at night, if I drink, I get tired mm -hmm. in the morning. I have trouble waking up. But I am, uh, it's not for everyone. I don't, uh, I know that alcohol has huge dangers. Mm -hmm. But I'm actually, for me... Uh, I find it relaxing, and and there are studies that say that a, a certain amount of alcohol, a small amount of alcohol, is good for your creativity uh -huh. because it it loosens you up. Uh, you know, you don't after. I think the creativity starts to uh, diminish after one drink or two drinks. Mm -hmm. Then uh, you start to uh, to you know that's that's not a good way to uh to come up with uh writing or art but for me one or two glasses i'm uh i am an advocate of that for myself i'm not uh -huh. saying for other people yeah yeah well any particular kind of wine that you have a preference for i uh, i haven't been able to find that one is more <laughs> conducive to creativity than another yeah but i'm just a white wine drinker i drink a, a glass of white wine and uh yeah, I am, I, uh, and and there are, and, and when I was doing the uh, the book on health, uh -huh. there were studies that that correlated one drink a day with a longer lifespan. Yeah. Uh, now I don't totally trust those because I think they're complicating factors. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of times 
people who drink are more social. They'll go out for a drink. So it could be that just being social is what makes you live longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or maybe someone who, who is able to practice moderation, which is essentially what that is kind of testing uh, for, right? That's a, that's a great point. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like if I can, if I can have, you know, if I can smoke one joint a week, that's, that's, <laughs> that's kind of impressive. If I, you know, I couldn't do that if I, if I felt like I was an addict. Like mm-hmm. that would be really, mm-hmm. really hard. And so, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Fair. Yeah, yeah. I like it. Uh, and then what's, uh, what are my other habits? Uh, I don't know. I mean, well, well, this is one actually, which is the idea of, uh, taking 15 minutes out of the day just to come up with ideas, mm. just to brainstorm. And mm. again, you have to free yourself from multitasking, turn off all of your electronics, um, and just come up with ideas. And I do try to do that. I make an appointment with my creativity mm. because I find some people get ideas in the shower. Some people get ideas just out of the blue. For me, it is more effective to actually say, okay, now I'm going to be creative. Mm-hmm. It's paradoxical, I mm-hmm. realize, but for me it works. And I do it... Uh, sometimes I'll have a goal, like I'll say, all right, now I want to come up with five book ideas in this 15 minutes, uh, and, or an article ideas, or other times it's just free form. I'll just think about something and, uh, and try to come up with random thoughts. And 98% of them are terrible. They're crap. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's, uh, but 2% of them uh, are, are worthy of me pursuing and a lot of my books and articles have have come from these sessions and and I use various brainstorming techniques I mean it's uh, so I'll do for instance if I'm doing just the the random brainstorming mm-hmm. uh, I will I'll come up with a, a topic like say snowmen and then I'll say to myself, all right, well, let's play with this. And then I say, well, what about a snow woman? What about a uh, snow trans, a transgender snowman? Mm-hmm. What about uh, instead of the pipe, he has a, uh, you know, an e-cigarette, a vape. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you just keep going on that. And even if nothing comes out of it, even if all of the ideas are dumb, at least uh, you're flexing that muscle. I, I think of it as exercise for the brain, like squats for the brain. Mm-hmm. And and that when you are in a situation where you need to think creativity, creatively, like, uh, I don't know, you're flat, you got a flat tire, you, you, you're more apt to come up with a creative solution than if you don't do these exercises. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that. I, I feel like James Altucher would be, would be proud of the idea. Ah, he's a good friend of mine. Yeah. (laughs) We talk about this all the time. Yeah. 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 I love his, I love his show. Um, you know, so what I, one of the things I heard you talk about was, um, was what you learned from year of living biblically was how I got introduced to you and really enjoyed that book, especially being a skeptical religious guy that kind of fueled my uh, interest in it. Um, and so you talked about how you, you appreciated rituals more and, and and I'm curious how that's bled over into your creative life at all. Uh, well, that is a good one. Yeah, I definitely like you as a as someone who's skeptical of religion. I uh, and at least 
certain kinds of religion. I was uh, I was skeptical of rituals too, but mm-hmm. but this project taught me that there is a beauty in some rituals, even if they're irrational. Uh, and we do even non-religious people do rituals, like uh, you know the birthday cake. That's mm-hmm. a ritual, mm-hmm. I'm, and I love that. So let's see. In terms of rituals that I use in my work. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I would say uh, the fifteen-minute one is a ritual. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe the wine, drinking the, the wine. wine. Yeah. <laughs> sure, why ritual. not? It's, I mean, it's very ritualistic. It's certainly why a lot of us drink and do different things because of the traditions and the social aspect of it and things like that. Exactly, uh, and I can't. I mean, I guess. Um, when I put my kids to bed, uh, I I go into another room to work. So maybe that could be counted as a ritual. Uh-huh. Uh, it's not a very elaborate one, <laughs> but uh, moving around during the day for me I find helpful. I think uh, Malcolm Gladwell wrote about this somewhere. But that if you move around and work from different places, it does spur your creativity somehow. Mm-hmm. That uh, just having new things to look at. Yeah. If you, if you were going to come up with a ritual, um, just that had to be like very AJ Jacobs, like that's, this was your ritual in the, in the religion of you <clears throat> um, <laughs> around writing and creativity. Uh, what, what, and it was just a short thing. What, what do you think it would be? That's a good one. Well, how about this? This is, uh, I talked to, uh, when I was doing a project about, attention and multitasking, one of the experts said you should really mark the time when you are working versus when you are not working. Mm. So uh, make a boundary. And, and that could be when you start to write, you, you do a stretch or you hold your arms in the air and say, okay, now I am going to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of like a clocking in type Ritual. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, we don't punch in, and and especially since I work from home, it's not like I get to the office. But it does it does something to you mentally if you can mark off that territory and say, "All right, now I'm going to begin work." Mm-hmm. And ideally, you want to be at the end of the day, you say, "Okay, now I'm not going to do work, and I'm going to put it out of my mind and enjoy my family or friends." Mm-hmm. Um, um, for me, unfortunately, it bleeds over at night. Like I'm, uh, I work a lot. Since I have all these interruptions, mm-hmm. I'm basically working all day when I'm not being interrupted. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think ideally, a better way to live would be: all right, I'm going to work from 10 a.m. and I'm going to stop at 6 p.m. and I'm going to devote 6 p.m. to when I go to sleep. To something else mm-hmm. all entirely reading or spend you know playing card whatever mm-hmm. I don't do that uh, which is probably bad <laughs> how late do you end <laughs> up staying up are you like do you really enjoy the nighttime or is it just kind of a, a because you've you know been interrupted and then you need to just extend a few hours yeah I wish I didn't go to bed quite <laughs> so late but uh, I yeah my schedule is bad I don't recommend it's not healthy i I'd say I go to bed around one thirty or 2, and then I wake up around 7, and then I have to take a nap around 3.30. Uh-huh. And do you find that those are peak productivity hours, at least uh, like, like 
you know, 10, 11 p.m. to 1 or 2? They're not, for me, I think there are studies that show different people have different peak hours. Mm -hmm. For me, um, my peak hour is, is more around noon to 3. Mm -hmm. uh, so it is not, but it is as it's more of out of convenience. It's everyone else is asleep. My wife goes to sleep at like nine thirty or ten, and so I got I have no one else bothering me. Oh, okay, did she work not at night? She ever bothers me, of course. She's a delight to talk right. to. Her. Of course, yeah. <laughs> well, and an inspiration too for a lot of. I mean, a lot of your material comes from her. You know, I noticed. So it's true. She really is. She is an excellent. Uh, I don't know whether it's a muse or a foil, but uh, I am very thankful. Yeah, I can never get divorced. It would be terrible for my career. Yeah, yeah. Well, it seems like she provides uh, like an interesting contrast. You know, because when 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 I hear you talk about her, it's almost like she is. I don't know if you watch Key and Peele. Um, oh, but you know, like, so Jordan, Jordan Peele is like doing all the characters, but, but, uh, Michael Keegan is kind of the guy who's always like the normal one in the group. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they're both very yeah. important, you know? No, she is exactly. She's sort of the straight man and I need to bounce. So she's the, the control group and the normal yeah. <laughs> and yeah, thank God for her. And, and she's also very good. She is an inspiration. She's very good in, uh, in helping me conquer perfectionism because mm -hmm. she is a very good at saying she she is a great job she works for a scavenger hunt company she puts on scavenger hunts mm -hmm. Watson Adventure scavenger hunts which uh, I highly recommend but she uh, will not obsess over details uh, not uh, actually. This is more applying to when she she's planning, say, a birthday party for our kids. Mm -hmm. She doesn't. Uh, she's like, okay, I'm going to do this for four hours and get it as good as I can get it. It's not going to be perfect, and I'm okay with that. They're still going to have a great time, mm -hmm. and that is a great lesson because uh, I think writers, at least I, tend to obsess over every word. Uh, and rewrite and rewrite, mm -hmm. and maybe it'll get tiny bit incrementally better. Mm -hmm. But the cost is huge because I could be writing so much more. I could be researching other topics. Yeah. So for me, she's been an inspiration in the battle against perfectionism. Mm -hmm. Is it hard being the editor of so much content and then battling the perfectionism? Do you find that when you're editing other people's work, that are you like a pain in the ass to work for? Or do you, <laughs> do you, uh, do you kind of quell it when you're working with other people? Well, I, am, I actually do zero editing, I am happy to say. Oh, okay. I think I used to, my title at Esquire magazine is editor-at-large, but it's very misleading. I am a, I'm really just a writer. I was an editor, and I did not love it. I loved I loved the generating of ideas, uh -huh. which was maybe a quarter of it, and I loved um, coming up with a writer and pairing him with a topic. Uh, I did not love the hand-holding and babysitting, and, you know, as you say, writers are a pain in the end. Well, I guess you didn't say that. Yeah. I said it. Right? <laughs> there you go. Well, it's, it's, it's been said. <laughs> I don't want to put you on, in that position, but I find writers to be a pain in the ass. Uh, so yeah, I did not like editing. So I am, 
I feel lucky that I'm able to make a living now without doing any. Um, but yeah, as you said, it was definitely a battle. There was, there was one writer who was brilliant. I loved him. I would try to give him notes and improve, and it was so... would appear in the magazine <laughs> so it was uh it might have been five percent better if i had spent uh three days of my life fighting with him mm -hmm. but it just wasn't worth it we start to realize oh like i have something here like i can write and right I, you know i'm i seem to be pretty good at this which didn't dawn on me until about a year ago after blogging and writing and doing all sorts of things for many years you know, I helped somebody write a bio and I realized, oh, like I, I can do this a whole lot better than you can. And that, that might be worth something to somebody. <laughs> That's uh, a nice realization. That's an important one. Yeah. I'm uh, glad you so had it. I'm curious about your process in that. I Had you always kind of seen yourself as a writer and when you got into freelancing and that kind of thing, like how did that go for you? Well, I tried to freelance soon after college and I was a complete failure uh, because I was pitching all these ideas and I didn't have contacts and I was making very little to no money so then I got a staff job um, but so I, I guess now I am a semi freelance writer and it's got its pros and cons it is I think uh, as we were talking about before idea generation is so incredibly important mm -hmm. so those 15 minutes when you're coming up with ideas uh, that's that's really key because the chances of you getting assigned something are slim, especially when you're starting out. Mm -hmm. Ninety percent of your uh, of your articles are going to be self-generated, and on top of that, the rejection rate is incredibly high. Mm -hmm. uh, it's I still get rejected all the time, um, but you have to become immune to rejection and realize that it's part of the game. Mm -hmm. Uh, and let's see, what else can I tell you about freelance writing? It is, uh, yeah, it, I mean, the, the beauty is the freedom, but it's also, you don't have the stability of having a home base. So mm -hmm. for me, the best is when you can have, uh, a column or something like that, that gives you a regular gig hopefully some regular money mm -hmm. and then you can do other things on top of that yeah. if it's if you don't have some regular gig then it's then that can be it can be done but it's very stressful mm -hmm. at least for me it was so what is what is the actual editor at large title with esquire like what do you what is your well, job description my job is uh, I just have to write a certain amount of articles every year. From uh, you know, I forget what the number is exactly, but it's not that that uh, high. So just like five articles a year, and you know, seven shorter articles for the front section, uh, which is lovely. I mean, the trade-off is I don't get paid as much as people who are on staff and. Uh, but but I for me it suits me great and I was actually just working on one of my favorite pieces. Uh, it, we're doing the 1,000th issue of Esquire magazine, mm -hmm. and so I reviewed 
the very first issue from 1934, September 1934. Wow. And uh, it was fascinating to read. Hemingway wrote an article about fishing that I found incredibly dull. It was crazy boring. Uh And I don't know whether he was phoning it in, because obviously he's a very talented writer, or whether it was the subject matter. But it was like, it was like my eight-year-old wrote it. It was like, <laughs> all right, here's, um, I put the bait on the hook, and then I cast it into the ocean, and then a marlin bit on it, and then I reeled it in, and it was just a description of him. I was like, oh, my God, this is terrible. So maybe that was inspiring in a way, because even the great writers can write terrible things. So uh-huh. maybe it made me feel better. Uh-huh. Yeah. What advice do you have for people that are going to pitch something? And and do you ever receive the pitches for Esquire, or do you um, are you out of that process? Too? I do receive them, and I just forward them over because I have no green lighting ability. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't have any assigning power. Maybe it's but the editor at large title that's getting you all these pitches. <laughs> I know. I should I should switch it to writer at large, but I don't. Editor sounds. Sounds, I, I actually, I not knowing much about the freelance world or the the writing journalism world, I thought, I thought you were like the editor for the entire magazine. That's what that That's meant. That's nice. <laughs> oh, so I'm so far from that. Uh, and thank God, I would not want that job. That's a he, tough job. My boss does a great job, but it's stressful. I guess for in terms, first, I think finding out the name of the person who you're pitching. Um, really figuring out what section it would be in. Is this a front section idea? Then really studying the magazine. And when I was an assigning editor uh, for about four years, I edited the front section of Esquire, so all the smaller articles. Uh, I was a sucker for flattery. So I think if, uh, uh, and I'm probably not alone, since writers are often insecure. So Mm -hmm. If someone sent me a note saying, hey, um, I loved this piece in your, in, and really name it and say, you know, I loved that piece on, uh, I don't know, wacky movie theaters uh, and, uh-huh. and the way, it, and I love this phrase that you, uh, that you guys used. So really showing that you are familiar with the magazine and uh, giving specific praise. Then that person is in a good mood and be like, oh, okay, let me see what this guy has to say. Mm-hmm. Then, uh, for me, the best pitches were were short, just like two or three paragraphs, and being and and really sharply written, writing as if you were writing the article, and you have to grab that editor in the first two sentences because mm-hmm. he's getting tons of pitches Mm -hmm. so if you don't grab him in the first two then um and and also sadly it it does help to have a connection and even if it's a really like you know my hairdresser's cousin's uh dog walker Mm -hmm. uh it it does there is something about having a name Mm -hmm. uh attached when you introduce yourself you know hairdressers can be very influential you know those are that's a good connection sometimes. <laughs> well, it is true. People care about their uh, their looks. So, yeah, I would say that's a tip. Try to find a connection no matter how random, even through LinkedIn. Then try um, complimenting the magazine and saying what you like. Then a really sharp 
bright, grabby write-up of what you want to write about. Mm-hmm. And then say where else you've been published, and uh, and to me that that is the most effective uh, pitch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's an interesting. I have been um, my new project is about trying to come up with trying to build a family tree of the entire world, mm-hmm. and uh, there are these online sites with these massive family trees that are connected it's like wikipedia and millions of people connected and like 14 cousins three times removed so i held a big family reunion a couple of like about a month ago yeah, and i, I wanted a, yeah. i wanted a lot of publicity for it so i found it extremely effective what i would do is i would email someone like an editor at the daily beast and say would you um I would introduce myself. I'm A.J. Jacob. I'm your, uh, turns out, I'm your seventh cousin, three oh, times nice. removed, yeah. uh, yeah. wife's uh, husband. So could, um, since we're cousins, I thought I would reach out and ask, uh, would you be interested in covering this? And it was a remarkably effective. It was crazy. That is really good. Even though it was so distant. But it was... Uh, you know, it was something that's like, well, they are family. I guess I should at least pay attention. I, I just, I really loved that whole concept and, and in, you, you know, using that because, you know, if you really go deep enough with, with this understanding of, okay, are we related or not? And, and I don't know, it actually relates to something else you said about this kind of idea of self delusion. Like, so, so if you, if you come from this place of we are related, how would I approach this person if they were my cousin? You know, it's beautiful, and and it's when we do that, people feel that, and they feel like, oh, this guy does kind of know me, and I, I want to get to know, him. I want to do things for him, you know, and <laughs> I think that's beautiful. Well, yeah, I think there is a lot of self delusion, uh, and it's it is an important skill because if you go in, I think I talked about this in one of one of the talks is, yeah, like I am not a naturally confident guy but I pretend to be confident and it's very helpful like when I was writing my book about health I was in the midst of it I was just every morning I would wake up and feel despair because why yeah I this is too big a project I'm never gonna finish it uh, yeah. uh, so but then I would say okay what would a confident person do let's pretend that you're confident and I would call up doctors and set up interviews i'd call my publisher and say all right when the book comes out let's throw a big launch party and we can serve healthy food and kale martinis Uh and all that and uh and after a couple of hours of acting like i was confident i actually became a little more confident it's a very powerful tool Mm -hmm. this idea of acting Uh, there's a phrase that i didn't make up but it's easier to act your way into a new way of thinking than to think your way into a new way of acting. Mm-hmm. So I think that is very important when you're a freelancer, when you're pitching, to be con- pretend you're confident and, and almost be um, trying to think you're not begging for scraps from these people. You are helping them out by giving them awesome ideas and content. So you should, uh, you should feel good about that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Even though they'll reject you 98% yeah. of the time. <laughs> and that's okay, too. What would a confident person do if they get rejected, right? They'd be like, well, mm-hmm. they don't need me anyways. Uh, exactly. This is meant for somebody else, yeah. Exactly. Um, so one of my curiosities is... Um, and I and I know you're you're a, you're a, you're a very humble guy, so this might be a tough question to answer. But um, why do you think you've I been am so the sm- most humble <laughs> man in the world? That's right. I am the greatest uh, person at humility <laughs> ever in history. Yeah. Well, you so. and James have that in common, and you and James Altucher might be competing for that. Um, <laughs> so why you know why do you think you've been so successful with book writing? I would say. Uh, and this is not helpful at all to anyone, but <laughs> 80% of it is luck and because I do think so much of any any uh, career is being just, you know, lucky. And there are, I know that there are a hundred people who are just as talented as I am who have not been, uh, who have not had books uh, accepted or mm-hmm. or sold, and just because they send it to the wrong editor at the wrong time or whatever. So anyway, I do want to state right up front: I think a lot of it is luck, and and there is something very freeing about that, even though mm-hmm. it's it's both dispiriting and freeing. But when you um, if you're not successful, uh, then I don't think you can conclude. Oh, I'm I'm not successful because I'm not talented. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if once you realize the way the world works, that and you say, you know what, this is uh, it's annoying, but uh, I just did not have good luck in this part of my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, so that's the first secret to mm-hmm. my success. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> I got lucky. Um, another is. Um, is persistence uh, just because I think I was so uh, my the rejection rate at the beginning of my career was just ninety nine point nine percent, but I had I went in with that self delusion and I I was able to convince myself you know what let's keep trying I'm going to be confident mm-hmm. so persistence uh, and and I am I I, I don't know I. I work. I do work very hard. I, I am, as I say, I, I don't. It's not healthy, but I don't take much time off. I'm always either working or with my family. Mm-hmm. Those are my two priorities. So I don't play poker with friends, or mm-hmm. uh, um, I don't. I'm not into hiking. So, uh, and I don't know. That may have played a part in it. Um, but uh, yeah, I am. I and I don't necessarily recommend that as a way to be happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, you do. It, it it's a prerequisite. You do have to work somewhat hard to have success. Um, but it's not a guarantee. You could still work hard and be incredibly talented mm-hmm. and not have success because of that luck factor, mm-hmm. uh, which is so irritating. Yeah. Well, one of the things I've noticed that that you that you seem to do that that is stands out is is the level of of commitment that you have to your projects. I mean, it really seems like you you are in some sort of top percentage of people that would be willing to go s- as far as you go with these projects. Well, that is nice to hear. Yes, I definitely like to commit. I think I have some OCD tendencies, 
Uh, but instead of channeling them into hand washing, I said I channeled them <laughs> into taking on projects like following all the rules of the Bible. Uh-huh. Yeah, and and it does give my life structure. So yes, I I definitely am uh, a committer. And you know what else has helped me recently? I think much more than in the beginning of my career is I do try to be. I try to be open and honest and and helpful as opposed to being secretive. Uh, And so if I have an idea, I used to hoard it and not talk about it and not tell anyone. But now, whenever I have an idea, I'll just put it right out there. And I think the, the risks are that someone steals it. But the benefits are that there are people who can help you, um, people who can add to it, and those benefits outweigh the risk. And I have a lot of friends uh, who, who do the same thing. Like my friend um, Adam Monsbach, he wrote the book Go the Fuck to Sleep. Mm-hmm. You know that? Uh, and he wrote that as a Facebook post, a joke. He said, yeah. uh, I'm going to write a book called Go the Fuck to Sleep. And, and then his friends said, you know what, that's a good idea for a book. You uh-huh. should write that. And he went into debt. So, you know, just putting your ideas out there, even on social media, things can happen. Um, Baratunde Thurston, uh, who wrote um, uh, How to Be Black, that started out as a, a little Twitter conversation with a friend, and it blossomed into a book. Uh-huh. So nowadays, I am, I am fully out there and saying, this is what I'm working on. Um, you know, if you have any ideas, then let me know. And mm-hmm. maybe I'll get scooped, but the chance. And this is a quite a contrast. In when I very when I started out, very first, uh, like right out of college, I was crazy paranoid, and it got to be almost. Uh, it was almost like a um, a sickness. Mm-hmm. I remember I was working on a book about the similarities between Jesus and Elvis. Uh-huh. And I was so obsessed that someone else would come out with a book with the same concept. Sounds like though. a South Park script or something, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there was a. Those guys yeah. could grab it, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I would go to the library back then. You know, people went to libraries, and I went to the library, and I would take out a whole stack of books about Elvis. And then I'd go to another library and take out a whole stack of books about Jesus. Wow. Just so the librarian wouldn't see that I was combining the two. Wow. Uh, that is pretty paranoid. Crazy. <laughs> it's totally paranoid and crazy because who cares? And even yeah. if someone came up with, with the idea, what's the chances that they're going to write a book about it? Like yeah. Yeah. I mean, zero, the zero, worst zero, thing one. is you have to have a conversation about what you're doing with somebody. You know. Exactly. It was so stressful to have a conversation. I'm working on this book, but it's top secret. Uh-huh. So anyway, that's that's the way I do things now. And there are risks to being totally transparent, mm-hmm. uh, as I say. So maybe it's not for everyone. But for yeah. me, it makes my life better. Well, that is one of the things that, that social media has is, is become like a stepping stone not just for not just for ideas but for writers that cuz that's you know without i mean facebook is where i do a lot of writing i don't mm. i don't call it writing sometimes i just 
write or I'm leaving comments, but you know, and when I do it, I'm I'm engaging my writing brain, you know, and even right. this idea of Twitter, you know, about having to fit something in 140 characters. I mean, if you know, you you could have gone back in in time, you know, 50 years ago and said in, in a writing writing seminar, said, okay, everybody. I'm going to have you write notes to each other, but you have to only use 140 characters. They'd be like, oh, this is profound. This is amazing, <laughs> the brevity, you know? And it's like, but we don't get that. that. That's, you know, people are really understanding how to cut unnecessary words out of what they're saying because they have to. And it's that fascinating. That is a great point. That yeah. is a great point. Yeah, I read an interview with Rob Delaney, who's a comedian who's super popular on Twitter, and he was telling, he was saying, Twitter has made me a much better writer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe that. A lot of people complain about social media and the dumbing down of the world, but I, I think there's, there are huge advantages. And, and as you said, it's a great stepping stone. A lot of my friends who have written books, those books started out as articles, uh, on whatever the Huffington Post or the Atlantic, and they just went viral. Mm-hmm. And from that, they were able to get a book contract because editors at, at book publishers are like the rest of us, very nervous. And you know, well, will people like this? But if you have some proof already, yep. some social proof, like this idea does have traction, mm-hmm. then they're much more likely to buy it. So uh, yeah. It's a definitely a different game than when I was starting out. You you do want to get an article which gets a lot of play, and and from there you can write a book. Mm-hmm. I think it really gets me present to the importance of titles too, just the importance of that the first sentence that people see, and mm. and how pivotal that can be, and and I found that it's also really it's been really influential for myself that if I have a good title for something I'm working on. I'm more excited to work on it too. Mm, right. And what have you uh, found with titles in your in your writing in your life? I agree. Uh, it is so crucial, and and I have struggled with titles. Um, I tend to go with um, with titles where you can know what's happening in the title itself. Since we have so short an attention span, if you can almost describe the concept in the title. So the year of living biblically, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. I lived a year biblically, and yeah. I think that was a successful title. Yeah. Um, I did one, Drop Dead Healthy, uh, and that one, I went through like 100 titles with my editors and uh, so and came up with this one. It's a, it, I think it's a decent title. Uh, I like it because it's, it's a paradox right up front. You know, drop dead and mm-hmm. healthy, so it's it grabs you a little. Yeah. Uh, and then um, I I'm friendly with uh, Tim Ferriss, mm-hmm. and uh, he called me for advice before he wrote his book, and he told me about his book that he was working on called "Drug Dealing for Fun and Profit." That mm-hmm. was the original title of that, uh, and it eventually he changed it to the Four Hour Work Week. Yeah. Which is an awesome title because it says it right in the title. Mm-hmm. Four hours. You'll only have to work for it. But then, you know, if he had gone with drug dealing for fun and profit, uh, I don't think you would have heard of Tim Ferriss yeah, right maybe now. <laughs> <laughs> because, and the basis of that was he owned some like pharma, like um, a supplement company. Uh-huh. Uh, and he was selling like, I don't know, supplements and like uh, uh, protein powders. Uh-huh. So uh, that's why he called it drug dealing for fun and profit. But and it's tough because at the time, it, it really does 
occur like a really good idea. You know, we look back and think, oh, that's silly, drug dealing for fun and profit. But we have to put ourselves in his shoes to go like, you know, that felt really good. And mm-hmm. then, and then these other titles, <laughs> like Four Hour Work Week, like I don't know who would want that. And but I really, but you know, we I find that I, I, this is you know this, we talked about this in a previous episode. This idea of killing killing your darlings, mm, and, and I right. I guess I think with titles too, it's so it's so big because there are so many. Like that's an inside joke essentially for him, right? Drug right. dealing because he was dealing supplements, but it's kind of like drug dealing, and then it's you know whatever. And so, the, you know, that, that's a big part in, in overcoming lots of stuff with writing and titles especially. I, I agree, yeah. Killing your darlings, not being attached. And I think also, you know, it, it's fun to be clever and do puns and things like that. But I, especially in titles, gravitated over the years towards not being clever. Because if you're clever, then it's, it can be confusing. Mm-hmm. So be straightforward. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I could have done a lot of different names for the year of living biblically that were fun puns on the Bible and the good book or whatever. But uh, I went, instead of clever, I just said clear. You know, clear is the new clever. Mm-hmm. That's Someone said that, not me. Okay. So. Nice. Well, now you've said it. <laughs> I don't want any, uh, I, I don't want uh, credit for that. Yeah. Because I don't think it's that clever. Yeah. But, uh but yeah, I'd say there is advantage for titles of being super clear. Yeah, yeah. Well, I uh, our time's almost up, but I have to ask you um, the last question, which I ask everybody, unless I forget. Sometimes I forget. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and um, it's if you could write write a note to yourself, um, and it could be more than 140 characters if you'd like, um, and you could pass it back through the fabric of time to when you started out, let's say you're in the 99.9% rejection area or you have, you know, before writing books, um, mm, right. what would you, what would you say to yourself having, having had this experience that you've had so far? Uh, that's a great question. And, uh, I have so much to tell my, my younger <laughs> self because I was really not very smart. Uh, I guess one thing would be, um, uh, don't stress out. I was, you know, for me, it was like, if I don't become a writer, it's going to be the end of my world. But I think now that I'm older, I see people are happy in lots of jobs. So even if it didn't work out, I'm sure I could have found some joy in some other line of work. So stop stressing out quite so much. Another is don't... Um, be wary of advice from any single person, include except for my older self. That you can, you can trust your older self. But <laughs> that would be like a meta conversation there. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I found everyone, the more sure that someone is of of their opinion, the less likely they are to really know what they're talking about. I think the really smart people are say, you know, uh, this is. This is probably this way. This might help using a lot of words like that, Mm -hmm. this tendency. But if you say, this is the secret, here are the five secrets, and if you don't follow them, then you're never going to get anywhere. Ignore those people. um, Or don't ignore them, but read a huge number of people's advice and Mm -hmm. then take uh, sort of what, what looks to be helpful to you and what has evidence behind it. But don't 
don't fall for one guru. That mm-hmm. I find to be very dangerous. I'm, I'm anti-guru. Mm-hmm. I think you should have like a board of advisors. It's almost like the Rotten Tomatoes approach to life. Mm-hmm. Don't follow what one reviewer says. Yeah. Look at what the mass of reviewers are saying, and then you can get a sense. So in terms of writing or advice or career advice, don't think that one person has all the answers. Mm-hmm. Except yeah. for me. <laughs> Except for you. You have your older self coming through the fabric of time, of course. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, thank you so much. Um, when is when are you going to be done with the family reunion book? Oh, I hope to be done by January. So we'll see. We'll see how much. Um, uh, we'll see how the uh, whether I can keep my kids out of the office until then. I don't think so. So yeah, it's sort of ironic, maybe. I guess, that it's a family reunion book and that they're stopping you from. It is a little <laughs> ironic. I know that is funny. Yeah, I thought that when I was organizing the family reunion, I was spending all this time and I'm not with my immediate family. <laughs> right. I'm like, wait, this doesn't seem right. Yeah, but did the kids enjoy it? It seemed like it was a very kid-friendly event. So they must yes. have enjoyed it, yeah. And that is one of the things that I feel so lucky about in my job is that I'm able to involve my kids uh, and get them excited. And that uh, motivates me as well. So if you can, um, yeah, somehow, I, I think, and, uh, and not to go over my time, but <laughs> my wife's uh, brother said, my wife's uh, dad recently passed away, and my wife's brother said, like, one of the most valuable things in his life was, was listening to his dad do business calls, and that had a, an effect on me. So I'm like, I try not to be secretive with my Mm-hmm. with my work and I try to tell them what's going on and especially I love to tell them about failures like mm-hmm. all the people who reject me or or someone who said I'm an idiot mm-hmm. because they're going to get that in life and I want them to know that it's okay it's mm-hmm. okay to be criticized and that's just the way life works mm-hmm. have you considered um, my kids as, as an experiment at some point like somehow involving them in, in the experimentation <laughs> That's what you have to learn that by your wife first, but yeah, yeah. that might be rejected. Yeah, no, I have, uh, I have considered it, but I've decided, you know, maybe um, I want them to talk to me when they are older. So <laughs> maybe the family business idea is not, not going to be just the best idea just yet. Exactly. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Make sure you go to darkenthepage.com slash 040 for all the links to AJ's work, uh, his website, his books. I totally recommend his books. I mean, I really fell in love with him through reading um, one of his books, The Year of Living Biblically, which is fascinating because he takes all the rules of the Bible and lives them absolutely word for word for an entire year. And it's just hilarious and amazing. And also very insightful and profound, I thought. So darkenthepage.com 040 is where you can find that. And if you want to send me any feedback, as always, it's darkenthepage at gmail.com. Thanks so much again. And we'll see you next week. Until then, go make great art.